Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Confidence podcast, where we get to celebrate the strength, resilience, and wisdom of women in every stage of their life. I'm your host, Vanessa, and today we are joined by a very special guest. That's the incredible Sarah Connor. But before we dive into our conversation with Sarah, let me set the stage. So in early 2019, she found herself in a stage of life which she knew very little about, and that was the perimenopause. And I knew very little about it until about the same time. And what surprised her about that experience was that many of her friends were also equally uninformed. And people weren't talking about it, either with their mates or with their partners or even in the media. And determined to break the silence, she shed light on this often taboo subject. And she decided to host a potluck dinner, which we're going to hear about, called Menopause Over Martinis. So today I have the privilege of welcoming Sarah Connor to the podcast, and she's a huge advocate for women's health, and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about that and her journey through the menopause. So Sarah, hello and welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. Um, It's nice to be talking to you from Wellington in New Zealand. So Sarah, this is how I like to start my conversations about confidence. I feel it really gets us warmed up into the theme. Can you tell me what does having confidence mean to you? Mm, it means lots of things, but I think the main thing it means to me is having a quiet kind of inner belief that I can do something, something that I want to do, whether I've done it before or not. And it's a kind of trust in my skills and my passion to achieve any kind of goal, whether it's in my personal life or my professional life. And I guess I'm 50 now. I'm about to be 51 tomorrow. Um, oh, happy birthday. Thank you. It feels like a really great place to get to because I feel like I've got this huge bank of confidence which I you know you don't have such a big bank until you've lived for you know number of years so and that confidence has accrued over time I guess so it feels like I'm in credit that I can draw on this bank of confidence in moments that I might feel less confident and I kind of I think I feel because of that bank of confidence that I can say to myself well last time it worked out and this time it probably will work out too and so it's, yeah, have, sometimes having confidence in myself takes effort. And sometimes I need to remind myself that I can do something or I've done it before or I've done something similar before and therefore I can do the next thing. Sometimes it takes courage, I think, to be confident. And sometimes it takes someone else's confidence. So it's like a gift of confidence from somebody else saying, you know, you can do this and kind of cheering you on sometimes when you just don't have the 100% that you need. Yeah, over time, I guess confidence grows confidence. That's what I'm. That's where I'm getting to. And I guess at this stage of my life, I feel like I, every day, I'm getting another another little piece of confidence building. Yeah, going into that bank. Yeah, I love all that. I love that description. It's yeah. great. So um, the bank that which you do get with age. But I want to talk about, just want to raise something or ask you a question around, you said you get conf- people can give you confidence. Hmm. And I guess, who's your cheerleader? Who's giving you confidence? Well, I feel really blessed, actually, by having so many cheerleaders in different parts of my life. And I was just reflecting on this because I'm having a party tomorrow to celebrate being 51. And I'll make a very short speech and make a toast to really my cheerleaders in the room. And I guess they're the people who are in my you know, immediate circle. They live in Wellington. They're able to be here. Um, but it's really for all of the cheerleaders in my life who have been there probably from the beginning, whether it's you know my, my parents and my siblings or, or teachers or bosses I've had or workmates I've had. You know, All of these people we meet along the way, I think, play some part in having confidence or not having confidence. And yeah, I feel very fortunate to have met 
a whole lot of different people on the way who I think of as my cheerleaders, whether they've whether they're standing with pom-poms and jumping up and down or not, they're just people who have said at each stage, um, when I've been thinking about a decision about which way to go, I've I've had these people to say, hey, you can do this, or I'm going to be there with you while you do this because they really want to be part of it. So I think the, even though I think that confidence comes from within, I think sometimes it can also come from people you know around us. And I guess that leads to that idea of, or it confirms that idea that we need to surround ourselves with people who are on our team and who can help us get to the next place that we want to get to or the, reach the next goal we want to reach. And that people, having people on the team, it got me thinking around, you have to be sort of purposeful with that. And, and I think that maybe this comes with age is that when you're younger, you surround yourself with people who perhaps are not there to support you. Hmm. You think they are, but they're not. And I think with age, you get this, I don't know, this moment in life you think, where, why are these people in my life? They don't add any value. They're not really here to be my cheerleader. Hmm. I, I don't know. That's just my view. Do you think that's the same with you? I think we get a, a clear idea of um, who we need. Maybe that's what it is. And maybe that's based on getting a clear idea of what we want to do and who we want to be and where we want to go. So maybe, you know, when I think about when I was younger, I was just thinking quite spontaneously about certain things like, you know, yes, I'll go and study that in a place I've never lived or I'll take a plane to, you know, the other side of the world and I'll just arrive somewhere and start a new life uh, or, you know, travel somewhere, do something I've not done before. I don't think there was so much uh, thought or clarity around it. It was just very moment to moment. Whereas now I, at 50, almost 51, I think, what do I want to do in the next year? What do I want to do in the next five years? Um I don't know, maybe we're getting closer to the, not the end of our lives because we've got, you know, another half of our lives hopefully to go. But as time goes on, maybe we get a clear idea of who we want to be and what we want to do. And and therefore it becomes clearer who those people are that we need to be surrounded by, whether it's, you know, a partner or a colleague or a collaborator or, you know, anybody in our lives really. Well, talk to me about, your life, not the whole 51 years, probably, <laughs> but, but you know, your journey through to where you are today and your menopause with martinis and mm. the work you do now. And then also focus on what happened in 2019, which is what I mentioned in the intro. Mm. Mm. Well, I'll start at the beginning. I grew up in uh, a rural, a rural place um, on a farm between Hastings and Taihapi. So in Hawks in Hawkes Bay, which is the region. So on the east coast of the North Island. Uh, so yeah, halfway between the east coast and the middle of the North Island. And I went to my local primary school. I went to secondary school there. And then, yeah, in my late teens, I thought, okay, it's time to uh, go further and leave the nest that was my, my family and uh, the place where I grew up. So I studied in Christchurch in the South Island. And I didn't really know what I wanted to study or what I should study or what I wanted to be. It was quite a, it was kind of accidental, but I ended up studying commerce and management and marketing and then ended up being attracted, I guess, to the creative parts of, of business and the entrepreneurial side of that. And especially the, the marketing and the communications, I guess, the writing, the design, the photography, all those parts that come together around what, what you need to create a campaign, I guess, to promote something or sell something or tell the world about something. And so I did that and then really was keen to see the world. So I worked for a couple of years uh, in Christchurch and then 
yeah, set sail, took flight to London and then on to Edinburgh. But yeah, I was touring and from for about five years and then got to the point where I thought, okay, I'd like to come back to New Zealand, but I was looking at New Zealand from a from a distance thinking, well, I wouldn't go back to where I started out in Hawke's Bay and I didn't want to go back to where I'd studied. And Wellington was kind of halfway. It was a midpoint between the two. Um, but the advantage was that it was in the North Island, so I didn't have to take a ferry to get back to my family. Not a very strict criteria, but it was just, um, it's in the middle, and I knew that they had a really, Wellington has a really strong creative and arts sector, and I've been working on arts marketing on the Edinburgh festivals, on the Edinburgh Film Festival. So, yeah, I've been in Wellington ever since, so that was 22 years ago I landed here and met my partner. I've since had two children, and so, yeah, before they were born, I had a pretty clear idea that I'd didn't want to work full time, you know, once once I'd had children, I wanted to be around for them as much as I could. And back then, um, it wasn't that common that you could find jobs that were 12 hours a week when they started kindergarten and then, you know, the next chunk of time when they start school. So I, that's when I decided that I would freelance, I, I guess, work with clients who I thought were a good fit with me and needed me part time and didn't have the capacity to have a full time marketing comms person. And I guess I started focusing on the communication side and the writing side simply because every job I seemed to find myself in, I was the person who people would say, oh, you're really good at writing, you can write that. And then, of course, I did write that, and then that gave me the confidence to then do more of it. And so that comes back to my idea that confidence grows confidence. I was just keen to work on those things, but also people were seeing that I was good at it and got more of that work. So that's what I've been doing, writing content and copy and stories for all sorts of good sorts doing good things, mostly small and medium-sized businesses who don't have a uh, full-time in-house writer or person who can think about marketing and branding. Yeah, that's what I was doing until 2019, which you mentioned, when I landed in perimenopause without having any idea of what that word meant. I just took a, a rough guess that it meant something around the time of menopause. But my understanding of menopause, the only thing I kind of thought it might mean is that one day my periods would stop and maybe I'd get a bit hot. I didn't really even know what a hot flush was and I thought that these things would happen kind of overnight, like my periods would just stop and not come back, you know, one month. I thought that's how it might work and I thought that might happen sometime in my 60s. I really didn't have any information of any credibility whatsoever. I um, just didn't know what, what was happening. So it started with me just driving home one day and feeling really hot, uh, like my head was on fire, not just feeling a bit warm, like, you know, I just needed to take a layer of clothes off, but like my head just felt like it was melting from the inside out. And my vision started to go on. I felt really faint, like I might actually pass out. And fortunately, I was driving slowly and quite close to home and no one else was really around. And I did manage to pull over and that was, you know, lucky. Um, but it did make me think, well, I've never had that experience before. I didn't know what that meant. So I took myself off to my GP, who used the word perimenopause for the first time. <laughs> uh, it wasn't my usual GP, it was a locum GP, and he was an older, really lovely gentleman whose wife had been through perimenopause, and he kind of made, not light of it, but he just said, oh yeah, my wife had moments of you know feeling a bit faint and having low blood pressure and getting a bit hot. And it kind of made it seem like, oh, well, there's nothing to worry about. It's just one of those moments. Uh, we didn't have a full conversation about what perimenopause was, and except that he asked, were my periods still regular, which they roughly were. So that was no signal to me that 
I was even in that stage. So it was a combination of not understanding what it was and not having a full conversation about it. I just sort of left thinking, oh, well, that was just a one-off thing. And I didn't. nothing else kind of happened until probably a few weeks later. And then over a few months, a few weeks later and over a few months, I just had this pileup of changes, uh, experiences that I hadn't had before. So I had anxiety that just came out of nowhere, not connected to any thought or anything I'd done or anything I was thinking about. It was just like a full body kind of feel like a, having a kind of current running through me. It was really odd. I had a really low mood. You know, I started not sleeping properly. So I had insomnia for various, you know, number of nights where I wasn't going to sleep at night or waking up in the early hours and not being able to get back to sleep. And this is me as someone who's been the world's biggest sleeper. Like my whole life, I've been the person who slept for 12 hours as a teenager and then had to go to bed early uh, in my 20s because I knew that I needed to get my sleep. I'm just someone who has always known that. So it was a real shock to think that I couldn't sleep. I wasn't feeling myself. I was really tearful. Uh, I'd get up in the morning and just feel no joy about anything. Normally I'd bounce out of bed and feel energetic and creative and looking forward to spending time with my children or doing my work. I just had I just had none of those feelings. It was really odd. And I guess, yeah, the the moment for me that I realized that something really I really needed serious help, I guess, was when I just got up one morning and I had a GP appointment to see my doctor and I just didn't feel anything at all I hadn't had enough sleep I hadn't been eating properly I'd lost my appetite and I was just really tearful and I just remember ringing the GP and saying I can't make the appointment I actually can't get there and that's when I think she realized how serious actually perimenopause has was impacting my physical health my mental health you know every part of what was going on for me uh, and at the same time, I had come to the come come to work out from talking to older women in my life that actually this was something like perimenopause, and that's when my GP said, "I think this is hormonal." And I said, "Yeah, I think I've got to that that place as well." And so then I went to see a menopause specialist, and I mean, she just took one look at the long list of things that I was dealing with, and just said, "This is completely normal," and there are ways that that she could help. Me through so that's when I started hormone replacement therapy HRT or MHT and I just started to climb out of this really dark dark place yeah and started to sleep well again my appetite came back I had energy of course because I was sleeping well just all those things that have been so problematic uh, they just kind of melted away over a number of days weeks months and yeah I was just incredibly grateful even though it took three months for me to get to that place to see the right person it was, I was incredibly grateful to have found the support that I needed. And I should say through that time, I did explore so many things and, and, you know, went down all sorts of rabbit holes, you know, looking for answers. So my GP sent me to a cardiologist for my heart thinking, you know, low blood pressure, something's going on. I saw a counsellor because my GP thought maybe the anxiety was coming from a, from a place that I could actually talk my way, you know, out of. I saw a hypnotherapist uh, who helped me get back to sleep at night if I was wide awake and couldn't get back to sleep. That was really useful. I saw a naturopath because I thought maybe my diet isn't quite right. Maybe I need to change those things, but actually all of that was fine. So while I was going through down all these rabbit holes, I did learn an incredible amount of things that were really useful and I still use now just for all sorts of things. Uh, you know, if I feel myself getting a bit anxious, I can actually use my breath 
in my mind to calm myself so that it doesn't escalate to panic attacks, which is, I didn't mention that earlier, but I had had a couple of panic attacks as well during those few months. So yes, it was really great to have all of those uh, options to explore initially, but the thing I really needed was something to address the hormonal imbalance that I was uh, going through. Yeah, and just the the knowledge, I guess, that this is a normal stage of life and that it's inevitable and that everyone's going through it. I wasn't the only person. That's how it felt at the time, that I was the only person going through this. And it's that can be really worrying, really confusing and really isolating. Yeah. I've got so many things to ask you and I hope yeah. I remember them all because I haven't written them down. Yeah. So when, when these things started happening to you, and I can sort of see why maybe the doctor was sending you yeah. to all these, because these symptoms are very similar to other things. Mm. Um, I guess in isolation they are. Mm. So where did you start to get your information from to think, actually, I'm going to piece this all together rather than just the GP. Mm. Where did you try and source your information from? Yeah, so I did. um, I mean, for a start, I only had that word perimenopause really at the back of my mind. It wasn't at the forefront of my mind until, you know, a few months into it. But one of the first things I did was start talking to friends. So people who were my age or a bit older to say, well, hey, these things are happening to me. They're happening to you. And actually a couple of friends did say, oh, I've had uh, anxiety out of nowhere. I just thought that was, you know, my job or, um, you know, being a bit stressed or their mood was a bit low and they were thinking, oh, maybe it's something to do with their relationship or they're not getting enough exercise or they're having too many glasses of wine. I don't know. They just, people were started to talk about things that they were pinpointing, trying to find connections with and trying to pinpoint reasons for things. But it was talking to older women in my life who were in their 60s and 70s who started to really make sense of what I was going through because they said, oh, I remember being that age and I had this and I had that. And, you know, one uh, friend took themselves off to a sleep specialist because they just were waking and in the night they couldn't go to sleep when they usually would people were having hot tell, told me that they had hot flushes all the time and they yeah that was a real obstacle for them in their work people were having relationship issues uh, one friend that she did go through a separation and divorce through that time so it was from me talking to people my age people older and then doing my own research through books and things like that the first thing I did was go to the local library because I didn't want to find myself lost on the internet you know being kind of overwhelmed by all all the information that is available and not knowing which was credible or not credible. So yeah, reading books was the other thing that I that I did. And yeah, it was fortunate to have a friend in the UK who actually put me on to someone in the UK who was advocating for more awareness. So I just pieced things together based on people I knew from asking questions, reading things, yeah, and trying to trying to get sound advice, I guess. And then yeah. you went on to HRT, and I've heard stories of people, friends, um, mm. just anecdotally as well, that actually take can take a while to find the right type. Because I know there's different mm. types. I've heard of, you know, you can rub creams, you can have practice, right, yeah. you can take oral. Um, I mean, was that the same with you? Or were you just, did you get super lucky and just hit the spot well, immediately? It just worked. Yeah, so yeah. I will say that I was quite hesitant initially about having any kind of medical intervention. I'm someone who thinks twice before they take a Panadol. If I've got a headache, I'd prefer to just stop what I'm doing, have a glass of water and a lie down. You know, like I, I'm not really, you know, if I need antibiotics because I've got some infection, then of course I'll I'll do that. But I'm not someone who just easily thinks, oh yeah, just, you know, give me another pill for that. It'll be fine. So I was quite hesitant 
about that. But at the same time, I was really desperate because for three months I'd been feeling so unlike myself. There was a stage where I couldn't work for a couple of weeks. I didn't feel like I could look after my children on my own. I wasn't able to drive while I waited for things like tests with the heart tests with the cardiologist. It was yeah, really seriously impacting the quality of my life. So I had got to the point where I had tried all those other things and I was just really open to whatever the medical specialist suggested. So when she said, look, all of these things seem so connected, specialists had this long list of the possible 30 to 40 <laughs> symptoms. Uh, and yeah, I, I could relate to so many of them. So I remember saying to her, oh, well, how will I know if it works? And what if it doesn't work? And she said, well, the great thing is you can try it. And if it doesn't work, then come back and we can tweak things. Like you said, some people need the doses changed. Or if it doesn't work, we can consider something else. So she was just incredibly hopeful and open-minded about what the options were if things didn't work out. And yeah, like I said, within a couple of nights, two or three nights, I was sleeping for the whole night. Within a couple of weeks, the anxiety just, you know, that swirling stomach feeling, anxiety in my stomach, that just melted away. I was, because I was getting sleep and I had, my appetite came back because the anxiety went away. I just had more energy. So it was just slowly over days and weeks and months. I would say about, I reckon by about six months, I was really feeling like close to my former self, as close to my former self as I could be, where I felt like I could do all the things that I would normally be able to do, except I still had to go to bed really early. So sleep hygiene, I took really seriously. That was something a friend put me onto early on. I'd never heard the word sleep hygiene, that phrase before and thought, oh, does that mean I need to change my bed linen more often? I really had no idea what it meant. Um, but that idea of going to sleep at a regular time, for me, that means earlier because I seem to wake up earlier than I used to. Uh, and really giving myself time and space to wind down in the evening. I can't just go out at night, having been really stimulated by going out for dinner or going to an event and just come back and fall straight to sleep like I used to. So I do take my sleep uh, routine really seriously. And so now you've been through that experience or had that experience and you, yeah. you try lots of things and you're now more aware, how would you describe perimenopause so that other people who are yeah. listening can really understand it and perhaps yeah. become more aware of what's going on with themselves? Yeah, I guess it's a series of really small changes to our mind and our body over quite a long period of time. It can be one to 10 years. So, you know, I'm four, four nearly five years into perimenopause and along the way, those changes can be different. So, you know, I started out with feeling faint and hot and my sleep changing uh, before my period started changing, for example. So it's a series of changes that are going to be different for everyone. Everyone's experience will be different. So some people might have really heavy bleeding and really regular periods. Some people might have really light periods and, yeah, it could take a completely different pattern. Uh, other people get hot flushes, other people don't. I mean, I think I've only had one, if that was what it was, that day driving. Other people barely have anything. They just kind of might feel a bit tired. And then suddenly they realize they haven't had a period for 12 months, which is what menopause is, the single day when you haven't had a period for 12 months. I didn't even know that that was what menopause was. Uh, when you look at the word menopause, it means the stopping of periods, uh, literally. Um, but perimenopause is you know, all the time around that moment in time. So, yeah, I would say it's a series of changes um, that can affect us cognitively, physically, emotionally. And it's worth knowing what those symptoms are just so that when someone gets there, they actually know what to look out for and they don't think they're going crazy and they don't think they're 
they've got a cardiac condition or they don't think they've got an anxiety disorder, but they think, oh, this could be perimenopause. If it's not impacting someone seriously, then, you know, someone can just continue as, as usual. But if any of those symptoms are impacting somebody's quality of life, I'd really recommend that they see their doctor or an atropath or anyone else who they see in the health world to help them through that time. So, yeah, everyone needs a different solution based on what their experience is. I'm, I'm not here to tell someone what they should or shouldn't do about their own health. So yeah. when did the idea of your potluck dinners, uh, the menopause over martinis, come about? And, and tell everybody about those because they're yes. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So well, it was about six months, I would say, at least six months, into feeling really like myself again, like I was you know, doing what I would normally do. And I just felt like I really wanted to celebrate feeling well again. You know, I for my whole life, I've been lucky to be fit and healthy and generally, you know, happy. So it was really quite shocking to go through this period of time where those things just, you know, they weren't a given. The wheels fell off, you could say. So I really wanted to celebrate feeling well again. And I thought uh, the way to do that would be to gather those friends who were really who really had stuck by me through those few months. So my younger friends who had no idea what perimenopause was, the ones who were kind of going through it with me, but without really understanding that they were. And then I had those older women who I mentioned, you know, two or three women in their 60s and 70s who had really been, you know, hugely supportive and given me a whole lot of hope just to keep going and keep exploring options and and also to have something to look forward to. Because at one point I thought, well, if, if this is the new me, I'm not sure what the next, you know, 40, 50 years, how that's going to work out. Didn't really like the look of it. So it was, yeah, I really wanted to involve those women again and for them to share that knowledge with my friends who were younger because not everyone has those women in their lives. And so I had been to something called Death Over Dinner, which is the concept of people coming together over dinner to talk about death and dying, and which is another taboo or in Western culture, at least. Uh, I'd been to a death over dinner where someone else had hosted a dinner and I'd gone along and it was a very open conversation. There was no agenda. It was just anybody could say anything about their experience of being with someone who might have been dying or their own thoughts about their own mortality, just anything, wills, enduring powers of attorney, all kinds of things. And then my partner and I had hosted one of those dinners as well. And they were just the most meaningful, enlightening inspiring kind of dinners that no one wanted to leave like they were the latest dinners I've been to so I thought when it comes to menopause oh here's another taboo that no one knows about no one wants to talk about and if people around the world can get together and talk about death over death over dinner surely people can come together and talk about hormones you know midlife hormones over dinner so really it's a play on words and I guess and and because of that idea uh, menopause over martinis was just the name I gave to that dinner party. I just thought, well, it might in- increase the chance of people turning up if I give it a good name. I guess that was the marketer, the marketer and me. And so it was just a potluck dinner, eight eight people around my dining room table. Everyone brought something. Some people had martinis, some people had mocktails. Most most people actually weren't drinking any kind of alcohol, so most of us had sparkling water. And we just uh, shared what we knew. We asked questions about things we didn't know. Some people shared stories about their mother's experience. So they were growing up, you know, maybe as teenagers and their mothers were going through menopause. Not that it was discussed, but lots of people had memories of what it was like for their mums, whether they forgot their words or whether they were a bit irritable or whether they flew into a rage, you know, out of, 
nowhere, just all kinds of all kinds of things, whether they were extra tired, uh, or some people talked about their parent, their mum completely changing what they did in their lives. Like they retrained or they started a new business. They just got on and were doing all these new kind of different things. Um, Once they were through menopause, like it was a new lease of life. And I love that concept actually of, of menopause being a second spring. So in Chinese culture or traditional Chinese medicine, that it's a, a rebirthing or a new chapter or a new beginning and yeah, a time to be clearer about what you want to do and who you want to do it with and, and why, I guess. Had this dinner and it was just a huge success. And then other friends started saying, well, when when was I going to have the next dinner, which was never part of my plan. It was just a one-off dinner. And so, and then another eight people came around my table. Some of them I knew at that dinner, but some people brought friends who I didn't know. So it was a mix of friends and strangers, I guess, or friends of friends. And then that was a great success as well. Completely different conversation just because it was a different group of people. And then after the third dinner, so I did that three times. And then I thought, I can't really give up every Saturday night to host dinners to talk about menopause. You know, I've got a partner and children and only one dining room table and one kitchen. And, you know, it's not that practical. But what it did was prove to me that the demand for people to be informed and the kind of enthusiasm for embracing this stage of life was it was just so obvious. So it was about to be World Menopause Day, which is October 18th every year. And I knew how to build websites just because that's what I do in my in my day job, helping my clients, you know, or work with designers to build websites and create the content. So I thought I can just build a really basic website and put the basic facts that I wish I'd known on there with the books I'd read and the podcasts I'd listened to and the articles I'd read all in one place as a resource for other people. And I can also put the invitation that I'd sent to my friends and my family to say, come for dinner. I can put that online as well. And everyone can host dinners in their own time at their own dinner tables with their own friends. And just start this conversation, just get it get it going. There's no reason why someone can't do that. It doesn't cost lots of money. It can be done at home. Everyone chips in with bringing some food. So it's not even a great effort for the host, you just set the table and send the invitation. And so that's what I did. I, I launched the website on World Menopause Day and I spoke on Radio New Zealand, which is our national radio station, about the idea. And from there, it just grew. It just, people started talking about it more. And I ended up starting a public Facebook group, even though I didn't know how Facebook worked and didn't really like social media and didn't really know if there was any benefit to doing that or not but the person who had helped me with my website said who was much younger than me said oh you'll definitely need a Facebook group and it'll be amazing because everyone can share their own stories and their own experience and and so they did and she had articles they'd read and books and interviews with people and all kinds of things and so that alongside the people having their dinners people were also chipping into this community, joining this community and just feeling more informed and more understood and more supported. So it was during COVID 2020, not the best time to launch a concept that required everyone to get together over dinner. But I guess the Facebook group uh, stood in for that in a way, because it didn't matter where you were in New Zealand or across the world, people could still be part of the conversation. And yeah, so just recently, yeah, I've noticed more people are, looking at the invitation and thinking about hosting their own dinners, which is really exciting. One thing I did also with some friends in my neighborhood was host a community dinner for 60 women 
to come together in our local bowling club. And it was the first time that Menopause Over Martinis had sort of gone out into the world on a bigger scale. So that was a really fun and really rewarding thing to have done. People came from all over. And yeah, again, just asked questions, shared what they knew, just felt connected in a way that they hadn't felt connected before. Yeah. And do you still have them yourself personally around your dinner table? Uh, I haven't had one for a while. I absolutely will be having one when I'm through menopause. That's one thing I'm looking forward to is hosting a kind of I'm post-menopause um, party, which will definitely be menopause over martinis. So, yeah, I'll be doing that. Every now and again, I have friends say that they're hosting one and could I come? And, of course, I can. I, I go if I can, but I can't go to them all. So it's just a matter of seeing when, when if I'm free or not. But my idea is that anyone can host them. It's mm-hmm. Everything's available on the website to do that. So it's it really is something. If you've got the idea to do it, that's actually all you need and mm. and, a, and a table. In fact, you don't need a table. You could just meet in a park. I, you could have a picnic. You don't need to have a dinner anywhere. You could even go out somewhere to a cafe or a restaurant. So be I any- have um, been on your website, as you know, because you, you... Yes. <laughs> and I have downloaded the invite and I thought I'm going to have one. Once, I've, once this episode is published, I'm yes. going to host one because I thought it would oh. be just... It fit in really perfectly with oh. launching... You know, getting this out there into the world and talking about um, menopause over the martinis and then hosting on myself. So, exactly. But anybody who's listening um, anywhere in the world, uh, you can go on to Sarah's website and find all that information and how to, I mean, it's very, very informative and, and guide you through the process because there'll be people, and I think I was probably of this, this same as well, thinking, where do I start with this? Yeah. Yeah. Particularly, um, you know, people perhaps who are not well connected with people, they just don't know where to start. So it's been, it's brilliant, actually, Sarah. It's really yeah, great. Yeah, thank you. Resource. I mean, I put things like the conversation starters on there so that uh, if people aren't quite sure what the first question should be, there's just a range of things that people can ask. But actually, at all the dinners I've been to, there's never been a moment of silence. It's just been non-stop chat. And, you know, I think I put in some of the tips for the hosters to really try and keep the conversation on topic. Because it, it can be that when you get together with a group of friends or people who you don't know, you can veer off in all sorts of directions and start talking about what you did last weekend or, you know, some exciting work project you've got on. But honestly, at every dinner, there's just, that's never happened. There's never been silence and people haven't got off track because people are just so wanting to talk about this thing that they're going through or will go through or have been through. Um, I was really amazed by how, the older woman who came, who were post-menopause, who came to um, one of the dinners I had, it was the first opportunity for some of them to have actually shared what they learned along the way with anybody else. They just had never been asked or they went through it sort of on their own, not really understanding that there were other people going through it as well. So there were just lots of lots of benefits for everyone of every age, the younger ones to be informed so that they are forewarned, I guess, and to, you know, knowledge is power. So to be informed in advance is so useful. And then it was the older woman who said it's so great to be able to share their wisdom and their experience and know that it's going to make a difference to people who are younger. And so now you share your knowledge with businesses, if I'm if I remember yes. rightly. So yeah. how did that come about? So going, you, you've had the experience, you, um, you know, talked with your friends and did all your research then set up menopause over martinis and and now you're (laughs) helping other people and men included to know more about the menopause tell me that yeah so that was um that came about just because uh, a friend in my community said 
that they run lunch and learn sessions in their workplace every now and again. They have a women's network, but they also have a mental health uh, group that gets together every now and again. And it was about to be the International Day of Action for Women's Health. And that was two years ago because this Sunday on the 28th of May is the International Day of Action for Women's Health. And so she said, you know, would I come in and just share my knowledge and my experience with this group that meets every now and again? And I honestly thought she'd be there and maybe a couple of her friends from work and maybe the person who runs the network, you know, because they have to be there. Maybe I thought, I don't know, maybe a dozen people max would turn up. And, you know, I'm not someone who's used to turning up and being a public speaker at that stage. I was used to being an interviewer and a writer and someone who, you know, pulls words together in the comfort of my own workspace. So this was kind of a new thing for me to do. But I thought, well, you know, I know her and probably only a dozen people will turn up. And it will feel just like having a menopause over martinis dinner, but I'll be in a workplace. Well, I get there and there are 20 people in the room and there are 20 people joining us online via, you know, video call. And I think there were three, maybe two or three men, some in the room and some online. And I was just so, so wrapped that that many people were interested uh, and people were not just keen to listen, but I break up the sessions into half an hour of Q&A with me and the host and then half of it being people sharing their stories, their knowledge, their questions, whatever it is that they want to share. It could be their cultural perspective on menopause, you know, any anything that they want to share really. And people were just really engaged. And after that event, I just thought, wow, if that's just one workplace and just, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, a women's group and a mental health group coming together, there are probably other workplaces who could benefit as well. The feedback I got was just really supportive and encouraging. And so then I started talking to people who work in different government agencies or businesses or small businesses or corporates. And sure enough, other people did want to talk about it and they did uh, have diversity and inclusion teams or people in culture teams or women's networks who are all looking for ways to support their people and just thought it was a great idea. So I did one and then I did two and then I did three, a little bit like the dinners, and then I got used to doing them. And then I thought, actually, I can do this and I really enjoy doing it. And the feedback is so great. People are feeling like they're really getting something from it and it's helping them make decisions about their own health and well-being. Um, for the better so it just grew from doing one to doing two to doing three and I think I've done until now I think it's about 20 yeah across the whole whole of New Zealand and sometimes the companies are uh, global companies so they'll have offices you know in Australia or the UK or the US or India who knows yeah so how can people find you then if they're like oh we really need this in my workplace or my group or whatever yeah. um yeah. community they're in how can people yeah. find you Sarah So my website which is my name easy to remember sarahconnor.co.nz uh that's where I put my workplace work my writing and my speaking and then if anyone wants to host their own event at home or do something in their community then the menopauseovermartinis.org website is the best one to go to but yeah someone can just um you can find me on LinkedIn as well you can put me a message there or yeah go to my website and there's a contact page you can just connect with me that way Good. yeah or on facebook the page is menopause over martinis yeah that's the other way i put all those details in the show notes anybody yes, thank you. they can go and click on that link so yeah. Sarah, what's your one piece of advice for somebody who's listening and they're like oh i've got a number of those things going hmm. on for me what would you recommend they do well firstly i guess the question to ask is, are those things bothering them? Are they impacting them 
to the point where they feel like they need support? Or are they things that actually they can manage themselves by doing things like getting a really good sleep routine or minimizing stress or finding strategies to manage stress or looking at you know diet and exercise and those basic things that we know are good to get right at any stage of life, but especially through perimenopause. Um, so that's the first question I'd be asking is, are they manageable? Uh, if they're manageable, then, you know, keep going. If they're not manageable, that's when I would say initially talk to uh, a GP, a doctor. And an extra note to add with that is check that your GP or someone in the practice actually knows, has some specialist knowledge of menopause, because it's not a given that every GP has had enough training or the right training in this and is up with the latest research around what all the options are. So that would be something I would recommend. Absolutely go and be really open and and don't kind of hide anything, like put all your cards on the table and be really honest about how those changes are impacting you. And then, yeah, hopefully they're able to suggest all the options, not just one or two, but hopefully a range of options. And then it's really up, up to them to decide, them as the person with the changes, uh, to decide which one feels right for them. Mm. So I think everyone comes to their own health and well-being with their own philosophies and approaches and things they absolutely don't want to do or do want to do or things they want to explore or not explore. So to work with someone who can work with you, I think is really important and to feel seen and heard and not to feel dismissed, um, which is unfortunately, I hear just dozens of stories all the time of women getting to the point where they have the courage to talk to someone about it. And then they're kind of dismissed or told, oh no, like I was told, I was too young. It couldn't be perimenopause because I was 46 at the time. Or, oh, no, I don't need HRT because um, I can manage with mindfulness and yoga and breathing exercises. You know, we just don't need people giving us advice that actually doesn't suit our situation. So we need to make sure that we get the right information at the right time from the right people. I think that's really good point about GPs because it might be new or somebody else is talking to about going through medical school like the the bit about the menopause and particularly probably you know a couple of decades ago mm. was a half an hour slot mm. in the mm. bit about women's health so mm. it's not sort of not surprising in many ways that a lot of GPs don't know much about it because they were never taught about it absolutely and then you get some who are specialists in it so finding the right gp is really really important yeah and so sometimes it's just a matter of bringing the receptionist you know in the practice and saying can you recommend who the best person is to see about these particular things yeah so how i like to wrap these conversations up sarah is just some quick fire questions they're not necessarily related to the topic but they're just fun for me and it just um I just find it can give like a little window into other things um and mm-hmm. more about you so as a writer and this one I was thinking is this one going to be easy or hard for Sarah so as a writer <laughs> or just what's your favorite word oh well I have so many words that I love um but one of my favorites and I think it's just because of the sound of it is um discombobulating you might it, need just to... sounds, it just sounds like it is you know when, when everything just feels kind of topsy-turvy and upside down and scrambled I guess that's yeah that's how I felt at the beginning of perimenopause good work yeah yeah <laughs> so my next question is what book are you reading at the moment oh I'm reading two I'm not a single book not monogamous <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and interestingly they're both one's by a New Zealand writer Fiona Kidman 
really well-known New Zealand writer and one's by a really well-known Australian uh, writer. So Fiona Kidman uh, actually is almost a neighbour. She lives in my neighbourhood and she's written a lot of memoir, but her latest um, memoir or series of personal essays, I would call it, so far for now. And I'm absolutely loving that she's reading about what it is to be 83 now. She just has so much energy and kind of zest for life. I just, so I'm just totally loving that. My final question then is, do you think you're born with confidence or it's something that you develop? Mm, uh, I probably think it's a combination of things, but I think from my own experience, I've felt like my confidence has grown over time. And that's because I've had the right tools or the right and the right people around me and, and taken certain opportunities which have grown that confidence or turned that confidence into more confidence. So, yes, I think it is something. I think it's a learn. You can learn to be more confident um, and that people can teach you to become more confident. Brilliant. All right. So that is the end of our conversation. Wow. I, always, I always feel really gutted when I have to say that because I'm like, I could talk to most oh, of my guests. I know. Hours. And I know when we first met, we did actually talk for quite a long time and it was only supposed to be half an hour. And I think it was nearly an hour. So Yeah, no, it's um, fine. But I just want to say thanks so much for being on the show. It's been amazing. And thank you for sharing everything that you know about perimenopause. Um, and also for just giving people, you know, um, lots of, well, just bringing, giving people your website. Because honestly, check it out, everybody, because it's really great. Thank you for having me.